Thanks, worship team. Middle school and high school, you guys may go to your class, and I will see you tonight. It's with great anticipation that I look forward to being with you all tonight. How are you guys doing today? You guys doing all right? I told you in my public speaking class, they told me, never ask how the audience is. And that's all I care about. All I care about is how are you guys doing? Because I'm good either way. Next week, um, one thing I did want to let you know is next week, our children sing. And some of you are like, I don't have kids, or I don't like kids, or whatever, whatever your thing is. <laughs> A lot of people I know that have kids don't like kids. Sometimes that's, <laughs> I wanted kids until I had them. Um, no, but seriously, um, I want to invite, encourage you to come out. If you don't have children, if you have children, come and support your kids. Even if you go, well, they're not very good at singing, or they haven't practiced the songs, so what? I'm telling you right now, it's not the talent is not why we bring them up here. If we're one of the most talented, we'd do open auditions, do a 12-person choir, and you wouldn't know any of them because I'd just get people from the area. We do it because there are kids, and we love them. We want our kids to be up here and know that this is their church, and that's one way we say it. So come on out, support them, um, be a part of that, because I just believe that you can't wait till they're 18 and then say, hey, you matter. Here's this trouble with Advent every year that I have. Here's my one problem as the pastor. I'm going to tell you a little secret. Advent is the same every year. Now, I change the names of the candles because you can be righteous. This can be the candle of righteousness, the candle of justice, the candle. They have like three or four different names depending on your tradition. But I come from a faith tradition where we don't even necessarily celebrate the Advent or light the wreath. And so because I come from a faith tradition that's doesn't normally do that, but to me it's valuable. I've only got so wide to go with this. And so I've actually mentioned this before, but three years ago I was preparing my Easter messages and um, I was talking with my friend Nate. I was away for four or five days because I like to write my messages for six or eight months at a time. And so it was November and I was writing my messages for the next calendar year. And I looked at Nate and I said, Nate, the hardest part about Easter is I can't what am I going to add to the story? And he looks and he goes, it's a great story. Why you got to add anything to it? I was like, oh, I got to make it interesting. He goes, if they're not interested in the story itself, they're, they're not interested, Jeff. Stop trying to add to it. And I approach that today with Advent. If you don't see the beauty in the story, even if you've heard it a hundred times, if in 101 you don't hear something that sparks something in you, maybe that's not me. Maybe there's something in you that you need to deal with. And today, I'm going to talk about a century-old, centuries-old tradition since the year 500 of the Common Era. And I want you to listen again, and I want you in your heart to go, God, what do you want to spark in me? What needs to change in me so that this is lived out in me throughout this year? And if I'm already living this out, how do I let other people see that and it become alive in them? God, I just pray right now for all of us that walked in here today, whether it's our first time or our 500th time in a church, whether we've heard the story over and over and over again or it's the first time, make it real in us. Make it change how I live. Not in some big corporate, we're all going to do this, but God, how I live today and tomorrow, let it be different because of what you spark in me today. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 36. 
But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in a field and one will be taken away and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Verse 43. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Some people think that that verse is about fear. Being afraid, because you don't know when. But I say, it's about preparedness being ready and the way that we're ready is that we live a righteous life so here's a few things about righteousness first is righteousness that's supposed to be a check to our heart nobody knows when the time will come but the time will come I used to hear all the time in the 70s that Jesus was coming soon and by the 80s people were giving actual dates and I remember there's one guy who's written four different books all of which have been bestsellers on the actual date, and every time he changes the date. And yet he sold thousands and thousands of books. And here's my continual thing. If I'm ready every day, what does it matter when the day or the hour is? If my heart is focused on God and becoming righteous, then I'm ready. I think sometimes we get so caught up in, we're in the end times, maybe. But either way, you're going to meet Jesus I would venture to say in the next hundred years, none of you are going to be walking around in here. Although they do say the first person who will live to be 150 of the modern era is already born. I believe I am that person. I don't. If I did, I'd take much better care of myself. But I don't believe that in a hundred years, any of us will still be here. Whether or not Jesus returns or not, you and I, we won't be here. Maybe some of your children will make it to 104. They'll get called out by Willard Scott. He'll still be around on the Today Show. But the rest of us, we'll never see that 100 years from now, probably. I know some of you that are probably thinking, I'll just be happy if I make it through another year. But you're going to meet Jesus. Let's live as if we're ready. And my question to you is, what does that look like for you to live like you're ready to meet Jesus today? Number two, righteousness is about preparation. Not so that we live in fear, but that we live in expectancy. I um, have this little app on my phone called DoorDash. And on Sunday nights, my son and I usually order food because we, I don't like to eat before I speak or before youth group. And so we get home and it's about eight o'clock and I like to order food when we're sitting at the church parking lot at the other location getting ready to drive home and then when I get home my food shows up a few minutes later but quite often probably half the time because if you look my house up on Google Maps it puts me in the retirement community I'm old but not quite that old and uh, 
That's the where Google Maps wants to put people basically in my backyard. I feel bad for my neighbors that live right behind me. They probably get a steady stream of people knocking on their door trying to give them food. Um, but we wait, and sometimes we wait and wait and wait, and finally I either send a text or a call to our driver, and then I have to walk outside and try to describe how to get to my house. No, you have to leave the Huntington Park. You have to drive all the way out. Then you take a left. No, you're still in Huntington Park. I didn't say take your next. And I'm literally talking them through. Okay, now you're at a flashing light. Take another left. And eventually they wander around and they go, you know Google? And I'm like, yes, I've made a note of it. I understand. Okay, that's a silly little story, but here's the thing. So many of us, that's how we live our lives. We are busy explaining away everything that we do. Why it's okay for me to be mad. Why it's okay for this. Why it's, and I, I've told you before, I'm not a person who says it's never okay to be angry. I'm a person who says it's okay to be angry. Be angry and don't sin. It's okay to feel emotion. It's okay to feel happy and to feel sad. That's good. That's healthy. But so much of our lives we spend explaining the way, justifying our unrighteousness. We're explaining why it's okay for this to happen. I wait for, with expectancy for my food to get there. I wait with expectancy, but then I have a bunch of excuses and I'm angry and I'm frustrated. I need to stop explaining away why it's okay for me to do this sin. But Jeff, you don't know how I was raised. You don't know the culture, the environment. You don't know what I've seen. You're right, I don't. And I wouldn't have wanted to go through the pain you've gone through, but that pain brought you to where you are today and to who you are today. And who you are today is only a shadow of who God created you to be. And as long as we're living, every breath that is still in our lungs, we can become more and more and more like who Jesus created us to be. And that's what I want for us. Righteousness is not perfection. I'm going to talk about that more in a minute. But righteousness is becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Preparation means I have my part to live out in this. Preparation means I'm getting ready. When I go on a trip, I often pack two or three weeks ahead of time. My wife prepares differently. She packs the morning we're going to get on the plane. I pack two or three weeks ahead of time, and then I realize, I, make, I type out a list. I figure out what I'm taking. I figure out what I've forgotten. I go to the store. I buy, I ask her, hey, I'm going to Target today to get things for our trip. Do you need anything? No. On our way to the airport, we're going, hey, can we stop at CVS? No, we cannot stop at CVS. It says to be there two hours before my flight. I like to be there two hours and 20 minutes. Yes, I'm TSA pre-check. Yes, I'm a known traveler. Yes, I'm going to sit in there. And you know what? People say, what a waste of time. How is it a waste of time? I can do emails from inside the airport just as well as from outside. I'm preparing. I'm enabling myself to be ready for a smooth journey. That's what this is about. Again, I know it's a silly example. But becoming righteous is really about preparing and enabling ourselves for what God has next for us. Third thing righteousness is about is it's a recognition of Christ's authority. If I'm truly a follower of Christ, I feel compelled to be more like him. Paul uses the word strive. If you see where Paul is writing and he uses the word strive, that means a compelling, like something deep within me wants that. Not just I have to, but something deep within me wants to be more like Christ. 
I can't even explain that. I can't define it. But somewhere in me, I want to be. It's the whole, if, if you were a Christian in the 70s, you might have heard the, there's a God-shaped hole in every person. That's the compelling. That says, I need to fill that, and I am compelled to know who God is. That, that, my friends, is what righteousness is. That recognition of Christ's authority makes me compelled to just want more of that in me. It's not about what I'm doing, but it is about allowing his grace to help me become more like him. It's not about how many times I show up at church, and yet at the same time, I don't believe you know God outside of community. So it's this, this dichotomy. This You don't have to, but we do have opportunity to. You don't have to give to, but we have opportunity to give to. I don't have to serve in this way, but I have opportunity to serve in this way. And it just keeps going round and round and round. And the difficult thing is, God looks and says, I'm not going to make you, but I want you. I want you to do this. I want you to be drawn into. That's recognizing Christ's authority. It's the old, you may not realize it, but you breathe constantly. Unless there's a problem with your nervous system or something like that, your body just automatically breathes. You blink. You don't even necessarily realize you do it. One of my good friends, Andy Opie, is blind. And the strangest thing is he doesn't look blind. He, some people, when you see them and they're blind, they look blind. He looks like when you sit there and have a conversation. He doesn't wear dark glasses. He just sits and he looks at you and he blinks. I keep thinking, why are you blinking? Why do you do that? You just blinked again. And I focus oftentimes more on his blinking than I do on our... Not anymore. I've learned not to do that. But on our conversation that we're having. I talked to him about it once. He goes, I don't know I do it. You're right, you don't. You don't even realize you do it. You're blind. You can't see. Why are you blinking? <laughs> that, my friends, is what it means to be compelled. You don't even realize it. Your body, your soul, your spirit wants so much to be righteous. We want so much so deeply. That's a compelling. That's something within us that I don't even realize I do it, but I want to be so much like Jesus that I'm going to do what it takes to become like him. And it's not about the doing as far as, oh, I'm earning anything, but it's about this is who I was, but this is who I want to become, and yet here's who God created me to be. I've had people come and say, I really want to work on my marriage. First thing you do is start working on who you are because you cannot change that other person you know what you can do? You can pray for them and you can pray for yourself to begin to change. And when I say work on yourself, that's what I mean by work on yourself. I don't mean, okay, then I'm going to go and make myself happy because I've had people take it that way. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. If you're going to work on your marriage, you're going to figure out what is going to bring my spouse fulfillment and how can I help them find that? What is going to make me a better person who's better able to communicate, who's better able to listen, and those are the things I'm going to work on in me. Our automatic nervous system blinks, breathes, our heart beats. We don't make our heart beat. Our blood pumps. These are things that just happen normally in our body. Their natural response, that is what righteousness, being compelled to it, striving for it, 
That's what that means. Here's a few things that righteousness is not about. It's not about perfection. You'll never be perfect in this lifetime. If you're looking for perfection, you'll never find it. If you're looking for the perfect spouse, the perfect child, the perfect job, the perfect house, the perfect church, you're never going to find any of those things. It's not about perfection. I look at who I am now versus who I was three years ago versus who I was ten years ago and think, I'm a better man now. I've become a better pastor I've become, because I've become better, not just because time went on, but because I worked on becoming better. And I'm far from perfect. And it doesn't bother me to say, I am far from a perfect pastor. I'm far from a perfect speaker. I'm far from a perfect communicator. I've got to work on those things. And I continue to read, and I continue to listen to other speakers, and I continue to strive to become better because I want to be more of who God created me to be. I'll never be perfect no matter how much I work on it. But I don't quit because it's hard. I keep working on it. But it's also not, some people say, well, since I can't attain perfection, why even bother to try? Paul looks and he says, it's not sin so that grace can abound. It's don't sin so that those around you see how beautiful God is in changing you. Yes, forgiveness is unlimited. But wouldn't it be nice if we're moving forward and not having to ask forgiveness for the same garbage that we asked forgiveness for 10 years ago, six years ago, two years ago, last month, last week, wouldn't it be great if we moved beyond and we began to face deeper issues that are already there within us and we began to work on making those more in alignment with who Jesus is? Something my dad used to tell me is you can only work on one sin at a time. People have gotten mad at me because I... I did a wedding one time for this couple that was living together. And what's funny or ironic or sad or disappointing is some of the same people that got mad at me, this was a former student of mine, they wanted me over and over and over to go tell this guy he shouldn't be living with his girlfriend. And I said I would have dinner with him and I would talk about life and the Padres and the beauty of who God is and the fact that he uses a bunch of sinful people and this sinner that was living with his girlfriend, kept coming to church, and then I did their wedding, and I had people mad at me for doing their wedding. You can only deal with one sin at a time, and if I'm sitting there telling them how bad they are because they don't do things the way I want them to, the way the Bible says, well, let's let the Holy Spirit convict. Let's let the Holy Spirit do that job. That's not my role. Let me love people so much that 10 years later, I can have a conversation with them and they still love me. And we can still talk about the freedom and the life-giving things that Jesus... Now, have they had some radical conversion experience I would love to see? No, not yet. But they feel safe with me. They feel loved by me. They feel cared for by me. And I've never once watered down the gospel. I've been Jesus to them every step of the way, always trying to point to There's more for your life than this. There's more for your life than this. And I don't care where you are, how long you've been a Christian, how great your marriage is, how great your job is, how great your life is. I'm here to tell you, there's more for your life than this. But it has nothing to do with if you'll just give this much or if you'll do this for me or if you'll do that. It's none of that. It's becoming more like who he is. We're not supposed to sin so that grace can abound, but let's let the Holy Spirit deal with sin and let's let us be a people of love. You're not going to be perfect, but righteousness is not about perfection. It's about striving, which I just talked about. 
It's about moving forward in that relationship. It's not about being better than the other guy. Man, there's so many churches and so many Christians that just want to compare themselves to us. If you don't believe me, go on social media and watch how Christians rip each other apart over the way they do communion. Over, I saw this week, over which text between two different groups, over which text was going to be used for the Advent this weekend. Whether they were going to go with the traditional or the change. And the change came in like 1973. So we're not like talking, somebody added a scripture this month. We're talking about whether or not a letter that was issued in 1973 that authorizes you to use a different Advent scripture is going to be followed, or whether or not you're going to go with the traditional text, which was around from about the year 1200 until 1973. I was like, yep, that's a good good sign for the church, isn't it? For everybody that's not in the church that just looks at that and then goes, why would I ever want to be a part of that? It's not about being better than the other guy. I don't condemn anybody else's beliefs. I don't think they're right, necessarily, but it's not my job to condemn them. You know why? The Holy Spirit will convict whom he chooses when they choose to listen. But you know what I can do? I can be faithful to preach from the Scripture, to show people that there's a better way for us to live, And that Jesus came to be our righteousness because you and I, we can't do it. Jesus came for one purpose, to die. He came as this baby in a miraculous way so that he could die and be resurrected so that you could have a relationship with God. He taught us along the way. He modeled along the way. He showed us how to live. But he left more questions than he gave answers. And if you don't believe me, just get on to some theological forums this week and watch the debates rage. And how many people believe they know without a doubt who will and who won't be in heaven. And yet Jesus even says, you don't know. No one knows but the Father. Do we have a path for it? Yes. Do I believe that you're in danger of not being one of the chosen ones? No, I don't. Because what it is is, it says, God looks at the, or man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. And our heart is one of repentance that believes that Jesus Christ is our Savior, healer, baptizer with the Holy Spirit, and soon coming King. But the beauty is, all he says is, believe that I died for your sins, to save you from your sins, to give you the righteousness you can't have. What a perfect picture of who Jesus was called to be. My righteousness. The candle of righteousness is about the fact that I can't do it outside of him. Let's remember the sacrifice he made so that you, a lousy sinner, and me, a really, really good sinner, both have the hope of having a relationship with God. David Bartlett said this, according to Shakespeare's Macbeth, life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. But let's contrast that with the scripture, which says, Life is a life. Life is a tale lived out through us by a strong and sovereign God. Our life is full of mistakes and grace as we move toward the time when God will make all things new. When I was reading that, and this is, I paraphrased a lot of it, but I wanted to give credit to the person who originally wrote it. When I was reading that, all I could think of is, 
why would God want relationships with humans? I go back to over and over because he gave free will and he wanted somebody that would choose to worship him of their own free will. Life is a tale lived out through us by a strong and sovereign God. Full of mistakes and grace. But isn't it beautiful that God is making all things new? We're not bound by our past. We're not trapped by our addictions. In this lifetime we may be, but this lifetime is temporal. And we've got an eternity. Living a righteous life is not about never having anxiety. Living a righteous life is not about fear of what I'm going to do and fear of reprisal for what I do. But living a righteous life gives us freedom to know I'm going to mess up and God's grace is going to be there, but I'm still going to strive to not mess up. I'm going to get caught up in things that are beyond my control, illnesses that I can't handle, but God's going to be there. We could never attain righteousness for ourselves. But he looks and he says, but in me you are righteousness. So if we can't obtain perfection and we can't attain righteousness for ourselves, does it matter that I even try? Normally I ask those questions and leave it at that, but yeah, it matters because the world around us is lost and dying and desperate for something better. And we may be the only picture, the only glimpse of righteousness they have. And our righteousness is as filthy rags. But if they can get a glimpse of what righteousness is and be drawn to it, it's like a moth that's drawn to the light. If you've ever been camping, you know it doesn't take much. And suddenly, out of nowhere, here come the little moths when you're sitting by your campfire at night or you have the little lantern and you're trying to play a game around a picnic table. And suddenly there they are. And I'm like, where do you guys live all day? I mean, do you just fly towards the sun until evening and then turn around? What's going on? <laughs> but here they are. They're drawn to it. We may be the only light anybody ever sees. We may be it. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, and yet he looks and he goes, but I give you something better because in him, our righteousness is real. Being prepared for Christ's return is not simply making sure that I'm ready to go to heaven. Being prepared for Christ's return is making sure that people know that they have a hope here in this lifetime. That's what, what we have. That's what we can offer. We're far from perfect we can offer somebody else hope. And isn't that a beautiful thing? Father God, I thank you for your son, Jesus, and I thank you for the righteousness which he marked us by, which gives us hope and freedom to live in and walk in him. God, may this Christmas season be one where people see you because of how we live our righteousness. Give us the freedom and the boldness to invite and bring and include not in a condemning way, but in a hope-filled, life-giving way. God, I thank you for every person in this congregation.
God, for every person who's here today, for those who couldn't be here. God, for those who are sick, we pray for healing. For those who are without a job or need a better job, I just pray that you would provide that for them, Father God. God, for those who are in need of some other provision, for those who are struggling with loneliness, isolation, depression, I pray that you would give them hope today. For those who are struggling with a sin or an addiction they can't get over, I pray for freedom today. God, for those who are just feeling like they're not even sure why they should bother anymore, they're at that point of hopelessness. God, I pray that in them, they would see you and know you. That they would know that those feelings are real and genuine, but that you have a plan and a purpose for their life. Lord, that they would feel valued and loved in some way. God, for those who are doubting the reality of who you are, I pray that you would reveal yourself in a real way today. Let them see you and know you more and let them realize that you have a plan and a purpose for them. That if they'll listen to you and if they will allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to work in them, that they will be a people who are marked by you and changed by you. In your name, amen. All right, I went a little crazy on that prayer. I just... uh, Thanks. I'm glad you're here. You matter to me. And sometimes I don't think people hear this enough. I, at least I read that they don't. But you are loved. And though I don't always get a chance to tell each of you individually, know that without a doubt, you are loved. You are valued. And God has an incredible plan for your life. We'll see you all next week.